Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is upon us, and there's no better way to get fueled up before hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Coffee legitimately tastes better after a day in the woods or after a successful hunt. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription, Black Rifle Coffee. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. Our friends over at Half Rack just released some awesome gear and they were great enough to give our listeners 10% off their order. All you have to do is click on the link in the podcast bio or the link on our link tree on Instagram and that will give you your percentage off at checkout. So get some of the highest quality hunting and outdoor accessories that will help you prosper in the field. Half Rack is aiming to be mindful of the past, conservation conscious and evolve into the future. Forged in combat and tailored for hunters, Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can now take Spartan Forge with you wherever you go by downloading the mobile app. Enjoy deer prediction analysis, weather forecasts, historical data, detailed journaling, as well as crisp maps. It's time for you to make the most of your season and let Spartan Forge do that for you. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20%. Check it out over at spartanforge.ai. 
What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of the Antler Up Podcast. On today's episode, Dimitri and I, we were joined by Troy Caleborn from Buck Fever. Summer scouting is in full swing, so we wanted to get Troy on to not only talk about his products from Buck Fever, but how they can help you in the field this upcoming season. This past postseason, I made a few mock scrapes using the Buck Fever forehead, gland spray, and so far all summer and this past spring, I was getting daily visitors from Bucks, Does, and now Fawns as well. Troy talks about how he goes about making scrapes and how he hunts them as well. We plan to do another episode with him in the near future to cover some more details. But in the meantime, everybody, enjoy this fun episode. Grab yourself some Buck Fever products and hit the wood scouting for this upcoming fall for some success. Enjoy the episode. See you next week. Before we get into the episode, also just want to do a quick reminder Check out antlerupoutdoors.com. We got some new hats. We got a little bit of inventory left. So uh, if you're looking for a new hat for this upcoming fall or we got some red, white, and blue, uh, I could get those out to you before 4th of July. So check out antlerupoutdoors.com. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. On the other line, we got Troy Kailborn from Buck fever uh synthetics buck fever usa and dude i appreciate you coming on welcome to the show thanks guys i really appreciate you having me looking forward to it absolutely i hope i didn't butcher your last name being a school teacher i'm, I'm pretty good at doing that no you nailed it it was great usually it's, it's a you know I, I say it both ways people always say is it kelborn or kilborn and i said either or whatever way you want to pronounce it i'll answer to it <laughs> hey as long as you're out there in the woods killing something you i'd rather you know go with kilborn right exactly right <laughs> well troy let's talk dive into things right away you know obviously put in connection with our good buddy bill harvey from pertner outdoors up there in uh, western new york and that's where you're kind of hunting from but kind of also hunted that western over the border of pennsylvania so you're kind of hunting the and grew up hunting i guess the uh, same kind of terrain features that dimitri and i cut our teeth on Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, I was born and raised in a small town just over the Pennsylvania border here in New York, known as Wellsville in New York and uh, Potter County and Cowdersport, Pennsylvania and down towards State College. Familiar with it all. I've trekked a lot of hills through the days. That's awesome to hear, man. Well, so you kind of cut your teeth going into it. I, I listened to you on another podcast and just kind of doing a little bit of research and everything. And it seemed like you cut your teeth on the uh, whole food plot thing before you got into the whole scent and synthetic uh, side of things. Is that right? Absolutely. I, I was never a big scent guy at all. Um, I, I got bit by the food plot bug um, early in my teenage years and, and, you know, before computers and cell phones and the web, the internet, all that stuff that we have now. So trying to read and research articles and uh, actually ran across, you know, some of the guys in the industry and, and, you know, Ray Scott actually gave me my, my first, you know, plot of what was clover seed back in the day, um, which is today Imperial Whitetails, you know, brand seed. And uh, I hand raked it and put it in and hunted over it and had great success. So that, that's literally where I started in the woods on a, a little, what I would call a little round food plot. Well, and I think uh, the, the food plot phase uh, definitely took storm in the hunting industry, probably when we were growing up. I mean, I think, you know, limited, uh, I think media at that time, I mean, a lot of people that were on the hunting uh, channels were, 
you know, hunting more ag fields and, you know, that kind of gave the, the kind of the, the popularity to, you had to have a food source to kind of hunt on. And, you know, a lot of people like us that hunted a lot of public ground, a lot of big mountain country, a lot of that just wasn't possible. So, you know, you were kind of struggling to kind of find, uh, new, new techniques or, you know, different ways of hunting the area that you were at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you just nailed it. When when I was a kid growing up, I mean, we barely sat opening day. You know, we might have sat opening morning before we were back in the cabin for breakfast and starting deer drives um, to try to get the deer moving during gun season. Um, I was the first of kind of my group, and I was kind of shunned by some of the older guys when I actually picked up a bow and arrow. Um, you know, they, they would always question me like, well, you know, what, what do you want to do that for? Like, you know, that, that's not going to be successful at all. Um, you know, just stick with the old traditional ways, which, you know, we're great. That was our heritage and that's how we were raised. And I, I enjoy the camaraderie of all that. And I always enjoyed it, but, you know, looking at signs, you know, in the woods on opening day, you know, which was p- typically past, you know, the prime rut for New York's opening day um, of gun season, you know, I- I'd see the rubs and I'd see the scrapes and I'd see everything. And I always kind of wondered like, you know, you know, what buck was traveling through this area and leaving this sign and, and, you know, where is he now? And, and, and how do we, you know, man, it would be great to be able to actually hunt him, you know, during that time, which is what obviously bow hunting opened up and, and certainly then learning deer communication and what rubs were and what scrapes were and, and, you know, rub lines and the patterns of deer and food sources, you really started to put it all together. And I was always just so inquisitive of how it all worked. What kind of, you know, like you were saying, you were kind of the first to go out and start doing chasing whitetail with the bow out of your friend's group growing up. What kind of failures did you kind of experience? And, you know, like you said, you're picking up all the the deer sign as far as scrapes and rubs, you know, did you hone in on things and kind of like, Oh man, why I'm, I'm hunting over, I'm hunting over this X, whether it be a scrape or whether it be rubs and you weren't maybe getting things done. And like, was there a moment when you started finally piecing things together that eight years ago, I would find a rub line when I got back into, in a sense of bow hunting. And it's like, here we are. I want to, I should be here because a a buck went through here when that was probably him going back to his bed at night or or however see fit. So how did, what kind of stories could you go through where it's like, Hey, this moment is where I learned the hard way because I spent all day and I was definitely in the wrong spot. Was there any moments like that at all for you? Yeah, I've had every failure you could probably think of. I always laugh and tell everybody it's, you know, when, when people often, you know, we have these conversations or people ask me about being an, an expert in sense now, or, or, you know, in all the years of hunting or having, you know, knowledge, um, I, I'm not, <laughs> I wish I was, but you know, they're magnificent creatures and, and they always have outwitted me. Um, I've missed bigger deer or been in the wrong spot on bigger deer nine out of the 10 times I've been fortunate here or there to harvest a few of these things. But, you know, I look at it now and it's like, you know, the failure is the learning part. Um, you know, I, I have three kids. Um, my daughter's 21. I got a 19 year old and a 15 year old and they all hunt. And I, I have a wife uh, I'm blessed with who has picked up hunting in the last 10 years with me. And, you know, she's a diehard and there's been so many failures and they get sometimes so discouraged. And I just kind of teach them as, you know, you're not growing if you're not failing, you know, you've got to experience those failures to truly appreciate the successes of 
when it all comes together and you, you finally get and do everything correctly and, and, you know, you get to walk up on a magnificent whitetail in the woods, you know, or in the ag field and, and, you know, put your hands on them and all of the hard work and determination is what makes, you know, what we do so dear, I think to all of us, you know, I mean, that's the failures and at so many points and times of, you know, man, I was in the wrong spot or, or, you know, how many of us have had those nights where it's like, we see them over on the other side of the field. So we relocate and then we think we're stealthy and we move in and we're sitting there anticipating he's going to walk out right underneath us only to glass him now on the other side of the field where he sat the night before. Um, you know, there, there's sometimes just no rhyme or reason to how they move, you know, depending on all of the factors and variables that we play with, with our scent, you know, with their scents, um, with wind directions and thermals and food pots, food sources, high pressure, low pressure. Um, but yeah, it's fairly safe to say throughout my entire, I, I've been hunting roughly just over 35 plus years now. Um, and, and I've made so many mistakes. Um, and some of my best hunts, I would say that I always have had and enjoyed, I've never harvested an animal. You know, I've learned a lot. I've seen a lot. I, I witnessed so much. I was so disappointed or so frustrated. Um, and some of my best hunts, you know, have ended with me, unfortunately, just erring, making a mistake. And uh, especially with the bow and arrow and I've shot over, I've shot under, you know, I've done it all. And that's the frustrating part, but it's, that's the determination that next season it's going to be different. I'm going to prepare more. I'm going to have another setup for that wind direction. Um, I'm going to double up on my scrapes to make sure that if he comes from the left, that he hits it, or if he comes from the right, he's going to hit it. So I do think, you know, as everybody out there who listens, you know, to the podcast and thinks like, Oh, you know, you did something wrong when you made a mistake, you didn't do anything wrong. You were just deer hunting. Now, when did you kind of get into, uh, hunting scrapes and then how did that transition it into uh using sense was there you know maybe some sense that you kind of used or uh had success or failures with and then it kind of got you interested in maybe i can do this a little bit better it was always um since for me, we're always more like the wing and the prayer. They were the impulse purchase of like, Hey, I only have a couple of days in my professional career and my personal life to get out there. So I'm going to pull out every stop I can. And I'm going to try to use this scent. And I like everybody else think, you know, I, I use some of the most famous top name brands that are still in the industry today. And I take the one ounce bottle and throw it all over and put it on my boots and, you know, um, hope that, Hey, you know, that, that trophy would come in. Um, I used them all probably as incorrectly as you could. Um, they probably messed up more hunts for me that, than helped, but just through determination and talking with other people in the industry that were experts and picking, uh, you know, the brains of people that I looked up to and I grew up with that I eventually got to read articles and then eventually got to meet in person at, you know, I mean, the Harrisburg, the, the NRA great American outdoor show there. I mean, I attended for years, you know, just as the general consumer and, and the, the guy that was a hunter that wanted to go and talk. And when you got to meet guys in the industry and I'd be able to pick their brains and, and I started picking the brains and, and started to try to really understand scrapes and rub lines. Um, probably 
four or five years into my bow hunting. So I was probably in my early twenties and I was trying to pair that up with my food plot side of things. Um, I had the great fortunate to, to become friends early on with Craig and Neil Doherty. Uh, and Neil Doherty, you know, has, has taught me more, you know, he's forgotten more about, you know, deer hunting than, than I know. Um, and he's always been a great resource that I've picked his brains for years of, of why do you think the buck did that? Or what do you think this rub line means or scrape means? And, um, you know, the, the coming into the scent side of things, just, you know, how do you apply it accurately really to promote the deer to be comfortable with it and yet show up when you're there in the tree stand at peak time to harvest them. Um, and that's a you know, game I'm still battling today, but I'm getting a lot better at it. I'd like to think. Awesome. Well, that kind of, that's a great pivot point to talk a little bit about some of the, the products that you have. And, uh, the one product that I've, I used, uh, so far this like past spring, early spring, when I first went back home to Northeastern Pennsylvania, uh, where I hunt kind of the big woods with my dad, it's a mountain and, uh, it's private, but it's, it's, uh, no food plots. It's, it's kind of, you know, big country, I guess you would call it, but what is that? The buck fever forehead, uh, gland, uh, spray and the two spots that we sprayed it at, uh, I'll tell you what, Troy, we get everything from, from right now. We have fawns hitting the, the tree limbs. We have does, we got young bucks. We, I mean, the only reason why I say young and bigger bucks is just because I could tell from the body and you know, one's a little spiker one's already has a nice frame to them. Uh, so they're, they're already all hitting those licking branches from the forehead gland. You know, I I've seen forehead gland, uh, from you guys. And I would say, honestly, just from my experience, that's the first product I've seen using the forehead gland. I've seen the pre-orbitable uh, kind of spray or, or, or uh, what would you call it, like crystal stuff? You know, why, why that product compared to the pre-orbital? If you want to talk a little bit about that product, since I have, that's the one I have more experience with. Yeah, I mean, our, our products at Buck Fever, and, you know, as I learned and, and tried to learn more about this, and, and quite frankly, I mean, Buck Fever, you know, ending up being one of the owners and, you know, the majority owner in, in Buck Fever Synthetics has, was really kind of happen chance. Um, it, it was, I had used it years ago um, when it was known as Hogs Synthetics, uh, H. A W G apostrophe S. Um, and I always was confused because, you know, it said hogs on it. And I was always like, you know, is this for pigs or, you know, and that was just the name of the branding at the time. And it was before the internet, I, I actually bought it at a, a, you know, a big box store. Um, I had great success. It was actually referred to as deer stop early on, um, because it would say it would make deer stop in their tracks. Um, and, I had great success with it. And then the big box store stopped carrying it. And, you know, this is pre-internet. I couldn't find it or anything. So when it came back across, you know, my desk as an opportunity to invest in, and, you know, get into this, I realized right away that I know the product worked phenomenally well. And the biggest misconception, I think, for so many hunters of breaking the old mold of, you know, well, why would you use a synthetic? You know, that's going to be no good. You just use the real thing. Um, and, and the reality is, you know, the synthetics are, are significantly better than the real thing um, for all the all the reasons that are out there. I mean, they don't spoil. They don't break down. They don't spread CWD. There's no chance of 
contamination, hot and cold, don't bother them. So with our products, you know, in our forehead product, when, when we purchased this, um, and got the formulations and started chemically breaking it down. And, and I did move the company out of Michigan where it was originally founded back in 1989. Um, and, and you know, had been manufactured to Western New York. Um, to, you know, I live South of, of Rochester in the Finger Lakes region. And I fortunately have a buddy that owns a chemical manufacturing facility. I paired with him and we started to break all this down to really research of how do we improve upon the formulations? You know, how do we make new formulations? How do the deer and, and, you know, the other animals that, you know, we want to attract react to this. Um, and what I found is, you know, the forehead gland is an amazing attractant. Um, and it has just such staying power that it just consistently, as you guys are just saying, will bring all types of whitetail, you know, as well as other critters, you know, to where you spray it on the branches on the ground. Um, and, I think for a lot of, you know, there's a lot of other companies out there that are going directly after mimicking the animal scent. Um, and I think that's where our products are a little bit unique. We put together blends that blend together multiple things to mimic the deer's natural sense, but also to add to the attractability. So you're getting kind of a two for one punch with, with our stuff. Um, and, and I think that's where a lot of other companies don't or haven't necessarily done that. There are some that are definitely starting to, um, and, and are finding great success with it that, you know, it's not about just tricking the deer in their nose, but it's also making them inquisitive, but also making them realize, Hey, they like this and they want to continuously come back and visit it, which helps pattern them obviously certainly helps with game cameras and doing deer inventories throughout the entire season, as well as then putting them where you need them to be during the hunting season to build a harvest, you know, the trophy buck that you're looking for, or, you know, what any other deer that you're looking for. Now, how would you go about if you could explain to someone how you, you know, do you make mostly mock scrapes? Are you trying to put this maybe where you already know there is a scrape to kind of get that, uh, curiosity from the deer that are already in that area that a new buck's kind of in the area how do you go about setting up your cameras you know to these scrapes and it kind of explain that process sure so basically you know what we do and again you know throughout the last five years that we've had the company it's been a big hurdle to get people to say hey listen First of all, deer communicate all year long. We primarily only care about deer communication really October, November, and December when we're hunting them. Um, game cameras have certainly changed that to push it back to September, August, you know, even July. Um, and the reality is, you know, getting people now to realize that you can put these scents out now and you can pattern these deer that they will continuously come and get acquainted with this scent that, you're, you know, you're going to help your fall hunting out tremendously if you're applying these scents in March, April, May, June, July. Um, and people are like, really? And it's like, yeah, the deer don't stop communicating because we're not in the woods hunting them. They communicate all year long. They have signposts. They have spots they frequent. Um, they're constantly checking their geographic home range to see, you know, have new deer migrated in, um, you know, who and come the fall with the testosterone rising in the, in the bucks, you know, in September and October, they want to know, hey, you know, who else is in my neighborhood? You know, who do I have to challenge to breed, you know, the does that I want to breed and keep out, you know, some of these other younger bucks that I know are here or any other mature buck that moves in. Um, getting people to realize like, Hey, using it earlier on in the season was one challenge Two, the other is we, yeah, where do you put it? 
um, making a new mock scrape versus putting in an existing scrape. We've always told people, Hey, make a brand new mock scrape so that you absolutely have confidence and you know, our product works, right? Um, if you put in, you know, you put in an existing scrape, people are like, well, oh, the deer are already conditioned to come there. How do we know that your product actually works versus the deer showing up where they already have been showing up? So once you get the confidence of your consumers to realize that, yes, we do put out a product that legitimately absolutely works and it works exceptionally well. And it's a great price point for you that, you know, you're invested in it. Then you start saying, Hey, I have confidence of where I'm going to make these scrapes, you know, according to my hunting setups and or my game cameras. Um, we do have a couple of early season scrapes that we put up in different places where we never intend at all to hunt a deer. They're just safe zones and gathering places where we want to do inventory, you know, and some of those places are not where we can sit in our trucks and glass in the summer to see that antler growth because they're in back hidden fields or they're just over the knoll where you can't see from the road and you don't want to intrude in on their space in that time of the year. So, you know, we do have spots now that we're placing cameras for inventory where we can do our inventory and see what's growing. And we're using um, lighter dose version of, of what our company produces. We, pr we create a, uh, a couple products called, um, you know, it, it's our, well, it's what we refer often to as our spring uh, blend, which is branch action and dirt fusion. Um, and essentially branch action is a, a lighter, um, you know, not as high test dose. Like I kind of refer to it. It's like, drinking one cup of coffee versus five or six, you know, the blends for the fall are the five, six, seven cups of coffee intensity where the spring blends because of how the deer are in the spring and the summer, we create, we create a lighter version of that with branch action and dirt fusion. Um, and that's where we do our camera inventory, our camera surveys, and we start to program these deer to, to where they're comfortable already being in summer. Everybody knows, right? It, it, the change of velvet in September into October deer immediately start to change their food source and their pattern. So at that time of year, we strategically will move our forehead gland and our repost uh, blend, you know, into the more hunting based setups where we really want to start to get these deer to pattern and attract to our hunting setups. Um, so we do use two different sort of tactics on our leases and our home farms and the properties that we're hunting to get inventory and then shift it all obviously for the, for the peak of the hunting season. Um, we know we, we produce basically our forehead gland and then uh, our green bottle and green bag, which is our pre and post, which is a blend of both doe and buck mimicking urines uh, for in inquisitiveness to bring both doe and bucks. Cause there's a lot of guys out there who say, Hey, can I use your products to harvest does for meat for the freezer? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. You can, you know, it's going to attract those to these areas just as much as bucks. Oftentimes those will be the first ones in. And if you want to set up some of these setups where you don't want to intrude in your, your core buck areas, you'll be able to harvest, you know, whatever deer you want that shows up early to these, you know, mock scrapes, um, or, you know, you can put them on rubs, you can put them on wick, wicks and hang them from trees. You can use the scent conventionally, just like any other, you know, scent that you've been using years past. Um, but then obviously we create our mature buck scent that we use and our red moon asterisk, um, that are really designed for that October into November peak type season, where if you got a trophy buck, you're really trying to lock in using those scents in a core area of hunting to, to really pattern them to get them there hopefully while you're there and, and they're traveling through heck, heck yeah man i dude I, i'm looking currently the dirt fusion and branch action i was going to ask you that question like later on so i'm really glad you actually answered it just by 
talking about. I was going to say, what's the kind of main difference between the forehead gland and the number two branch action uh, early season formula? So there you go. You answer that for me. Uh, and my next question was, you know, you're talking about, you know, with the scrapes, how do you go about making them authentic? Like I, I there have been times where I've just kind of, you know, kicked up dirt with my with my boot and maybe, you know, threw some urine down. Maybe I peed in it. You know, that was going to be another question that someone had, like how much does like a uh, human pee affect certain scrapes and everything like that? Um, you know, w- how do you go about making either that, that mock scrape truly authentic where, you know, boom, it, it catches that buck or, or deer deer's attention and they want to come over and check it out. You know, that's a great question. And there's all different levels, I guess, of, seriousness of hunters, you know, really that, and it, it all takes into effect, I guess, your geographic home range of what your deer are accustomed to. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Troy Pottinger out of Idaho. Yep. Um, Troy's, yep. Troy's been using buck fever, you know, for, for 30 years. Um, I've learned more from him about the products I manufacture because he's been using them since the beginning and he's hunting big woods, Idaho mountains, hundred thousand acres of timber, you know, gigantic deer that, you know, one, I never even knew existed in Idaho. Um, you know, if, if you were saying Iowa or Kansas, I'd be like, oh, absolutely. And he started sending me photographs of the deer in our scrapes. And I'm like, Whoa, I'm like, this is Idaho. And he's like, yeah. Um, his tactics are vastly different than my tactics here in the Finger Lake regions of the agricultural zones, even versus where I hunt in my farm down by the Pennsylvania border. That's more big woods. The deer are a lot more skittish. They're not as, uh, of, as used to human presence. So at my home farm, you know, let's call it my house farm, um, where I live and where we hunt, it's, it's more of a suburban agricultural area. There's a huge deer herd. There's plenty of them. They're very used to human presence. They're very used to human movement. Um, and my scrapes there are, I'm not as particular about my scent and scent control in my home area because the deer are getting human scent from every corner of the property that we hunt. It's not a big track of land. It's small. I got neighbors that hunt. I got a lot of pressure. So the deer are used to that. Um, my tactics down in the big woods and, and, you know, the, 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 my hunting camp farm by Pennsylvania, totally different tactics. I'm much more cognizant of my scent and, and how I'm moving in. Um, I won't make a scrape there by kicking, you know, the dirt away with my rubber boot and, and touch a limb or, or not have, you know, gloves on when I apply the scent. There I take all the precaution. Um, we make an odor killer called Vanishing Hunter that is a phenomenal product. Um, you know, down there I spray heavy my boots, my hands, you know, my clothing. I'm very particular about what clothes I'm wearing into the woods that day when I make my scrapes because those deer are just more skittish. I mean, I close the truck door a mile away and if the deer don't like it, you know, they're off and running. Um, and that's the reality for a lot of guys that hunt those areas. Um, whereas, you know, here at home, I'm less particular. I've made rubs, you know, and, and scrapes and sprayed down, you know, rubs with our forehead gland and, you know, or I've bent the limb or broke the limb from the, you know, above the scrape, um, with my bare hand. And I kind of, ah, I probably shouldn't have done that. And then I coated extra with our scent and, you know, 20 minutes later on the camera, I got a buck working it. Um, I, I have a neighbor that, you know, is a user of our products now that I gave him some two years ago. He hunts right on the, na- you know, the, my neighboring property and he got out of his stand. He reapplied our, our, uh, full, you know, buck rut scent last fall. And by the time he got back to his truck, which he said was about 150 yards away, his cell phone was dinging with a new picture. And he's like, no way. I just, 
I just sprayed it. And he sent it to me. He's like, okay. He's like, I'm, you totally got me. He's like, look at the buck. I'm literally, I just walked out of there and this buck is working that scrape because I just freshly applied your scent to it. So, um, you know, it's, it, it totally depends. Like guys always tell me all the time, Oh, I don't need to buy your product. I just urinate in the scrape. Yeah, you, you absolutely can. I mean, deer are inquisitive animals. I mean, we always talk that building a, a communal scrape and a community signpost deer want to come to an area to check it out. But any serious hunter that's hunting a, a mature whitetail also realizes come fall, that deer completely changed his tactics from him frequently visiting that site in July or August to showing up in late October, you know, or early November. Um, they get way more skittish. Like they, they create a little home range and if there's something they don't like, they're going to avoid it, you know, which is part of the process of the yearly process of why we apply our stuff to the scrapes, the mock scrapes year round, because you know, that comfort level that these mature deer get year after year with our sense is really what we've seen in testing to make them realize like they're going to show up because you know, one biologically and chemically they can't, um, you know, buck fever synthetics, you know, sort of the background of how the stuff really works is it puts into your home geographic deer range a mimicking of a DNA superior deer. Um, deer are obviously creatures of the wild, but they're creatures that biologically are chemically driven to reproduce. You know, they reproduce and eat and survive. That's the three basics reproduction for them. You know, does want to reproduce with the DNA fittest mature buck that their senses tell them that's, that's who I should breed with for the best offspring for the most superior fawns that I want to have. Um, and people will tell us all the time, Hey, I made a mock scrape with your product and I got these does that are bedded in the scrapes, right? They're bedded waiting for the buck that left that set to breed them because they want that superior deer to breed them. Um, and obviously bucks, mature bucks, once they get wind and scent of, Hey, there's somebody in my neighborhood and I visually don't know them. I've smelled them, but I've never physically laid eyes on them. I've never been able to battle them in the field and, and uh, secure my dominance and my superiority to them. So buck fever synthetics will put those mature deer on their feet in daylight hours in the fall because they can't physically stand to know that there may be another superior deer breeding does within their home core range that they haven't yet physically been able to lay eyes on and, and dominate in a battle, you know, with a buck fight. So, you know, that's, that's a key part to how our stuff works chemically from sort of the inside scientific side of it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just going to say, you know, I, I, this is the first year I've really tried to branch out and use mock scrapes and, and try to get some inventory and kind of pattern deer a little bit more. We've, we've talked about several times how we kind of use our cameras just for inventory and in, in different areas. But, you know, as we're growing as hunters, we're trying to strategize our cameras a little bit more. And, and you know, so I was always wanted to start trying the, the mock scrape in areas where I knew there was deer transition to try to, you know, a place to put my camera, to try to pattern a deer, know where I need to be. Uh, but this year I, I, I put two, two mock scrapes out. I've had them out. I've, I did the natural, you know, just kind of kicked up some dirt, you know, peed in one of them, you know, hung them up, tried to make them natural. I put them in areas that, 
that I knew there was heavy deer movement. So, you know, it wasn't just kind of a shot out of the dark. I know that the deer move transition through these areas. Um, I've had them out probably a, about a month and they've kind of really been stinking, you know, <laughs> uh, I've, I've been getting some cell camera pictures of, of natural deer movement, but they're kind of walking either in front of the, the scrape or, you know, behind the scrape and not really, um, you know, curious about it. Uh, I've even had a nice buck and a, a real, a small buck travel through the, the small buck looked at it, didn't even wait, make his way over to it. Um, so I'm really curious to try, try your products and, and, you know, cause I, I know that, that there's been nothing happening at these two scrapes and, you know, I'll really be able to see if it's working and, and, and try to, you know, transition and turn things on at these two scrapes. That's cool. Yeah. And it's, I mean, guys, it's been, the state of Pennsylvania has been so good to, to us and to me. Um, when we first got the company five years ago and we first attended back at the Harrisburg show, I, I kid you not, you know, older Pennsylvania hunters sold more of our product at our booth than, than we ever could have. They created a frenzy amongst the younger people going, wait a minute, is this the original stuff? Like you guys were here years ago and you're gone, you, you're gone. We couldn't find you. Now you're back. And they would talk about our products and they would literally, you know, everybody around would, would listen to these guys and be like, I'm telling you guys this, I, I, I don't know these guys. I don't work for these guys. I use this stuff years ago in the big woods in Pennsylvania. And I've never had such success in all the years. And those guys were like, can we buy it by the gallon? And, and at the time we didn't make gallons of it. We're like, no, but we'll, we'll give you a volume deal if you want to buy six bottles or something. And, uh, you know, and, and because of those guys, we obviously started making it in bulk and, and gallon bottles because the younger guys that listened and the new game camera guys and the new generation of Pennsylvania deer hunters and New York deer hunters and Maryland that came to that show, um, the testimonials afterwards were just phenomenal. And people like, Hey, you know, thank you. We bought this. We just put it out. And I tell people, right. That shows in February. And I'd be like, guys, you know, listen, it's, it's, go put it out now. And they're like, it's February. I'm like, it's, if you want to see if it works, put it out now. And I had a particular guy from Virginia, you know, Southern Virginia that was there and talking to him. And he's like, you really want me to put this out now? I said, yes, sir. Go do it. Within a week. I don't know. He sent me like 20 different photos. Like, are you kidding me? He's like, I never would have dreamed deer would be communicating like this at this time time of the year in Southern Virginia. Um, and it's, you know, that's been the benefit of our products of they, they do legitimately work. And I know, I mean, obviously you guys, you know, brought up Billy Harvey and, and partner outdoors podcast and, and Billy had never used it. And when I gave it to him after our podcast, he went out and used it. And I think within two days, you know, he said, I have two target bucks that I haven't been able to get on camera in my scrapes. I don't even know if they're alive. I don't within four days, I think Billy sent me a message just literally going, okay, like sold for the rest of my life. I will buy this product because the two mature bucks that he had not even laid eyes on, he went, he made the scrape, you know, he videotaped it all. He filmed it all. He put it there and boom, that night, I think he got like 50 or 60 different photos of these two bucks. Well, and he's like, are you, are you kidding me? Well, that's funny too. You say that because Demetri, what was it like last week or the week prior when I said, yeah, when I seen the pictures of those bucks on camera that I started getting uh, back at home, uh, that's where I used the forehead uh, gland uh, synthetic spray. And I'll tell you what, Troy, last year, well, the last couple of summers, honestly, I, I kept my cameras out all year long and it wouldn't be until August. Like I know from, it, it used to be from the end of the season until literally maybe the middle of August, I, I know I would get dough. I would maybe get a spiker here and there, but I routinely now my my camera goes off daily and there's multiple bucks. Like I finally had my first like 
bachelor group photo yesterday of like four bucks together and they're all hitting that branch and taking their turns on it basically and one is a lot bigger than the than all the three or two or whatever uh and that's that i'll tell you what man and that's the first time i sent it to dimitri i said hey look at this first time i'm getting bucks still down here in june and uh so it's it like you said it works and it's it's pretty cool to, to see that the one question that i have troy about like making those authentic scrapes are you using for the licking branches anything particular because i know i've seen like people use like a vine uh you know hanging like one stick are you using uh just branches nearby of what you think deer are kind of like using or rubbing on or what what are you using for those licking branches i will always try to you know replicate and be as authentic as I can with what the deer are using, you know, where I'm hunting. Um, so at home I, I will, if I have to tie a higher branch down with like parachute cord, I will, you know, take my gloves and I will work to really get the branch there. That's, that's what they want. But oftentimes they break off, you know, the, the, I've had a couple of scrapes now for the last five years with buck fever that, you know, unfortunately the deer have worked them so much that they broke them off, um, which led us to testing. And also, you know, we're coming out with a new deer rope that'll be, um, you know, a combo pack with, a blend of like our forehead gland for summer months and for the early fall, because certain areas where you can't, you know, use a branch on a tree, but you know, the bucks are there, you know, we've had great success. We've tested the, these ropes for the last two years with our different combinations of, of pre-soaking or, you know, including a bottle in the package and trying to figure out how we want to bring it to market. But it's, you know, the, the, the ropes have worked phenomenally well, as well as grapevines. If, if I get, and I see, I have certain grapes that grow on my home property. I go out and sniff the vines that I know the deer just hammer them and I tie them in, um, you know, and set free as possible. And I spray them off and, and wait till after a heavy rain to go back in and then to do our first application. So, you know, I won't, when I put the vine in or I tie the rope down, I won't put the scent on the same day. I don't like to do this. You know, I don't want to put it all in at once. Cause I do think they, they begin to realize right away, like, nah, this something's not right about this. So I'll wait and typically wait until after a rain or two to go back. And then after it's fresh and dry and, and sort of washed away with rain, you know, then I will apply it. And, and I'm very careful, you know, about, you know, handling and, and, and doing, you know, the branches with gloves on. Um, I have used products. I, I try other companies products and there's a lot of other companies out there that make sense and different, you know, products for this and they all have good stuff. I mean, it's, this is a small industry and I know a lot of the guys that own the other set companies or, or the heads of them. And, you know, they bounce stuff off me and I try stuff for them. And, you know, there's some really good products out there. And, you know, the, 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 the I, you know, I've used the mimicking vine from uh, another company and it's worked fairly well for me. I've had good success with it. I mean, it's a good product. And if it's a, if you got to use something that, you know, is in a general area and you don't have, you know, natural ones, it, it may be a hit. It's definitely trial and error. Um, Troy Pottinger is a big fan of, he knows in his mountainous region, what deer like to lick on and what they like to rub on. So he's a, a fan of cutting and tying and stuff in, um, and his scrapes get worked over so hard year after year. There's such big communal scrapes, you know, the bucks put a beating on those overhanging branches. So I know, you know, he goes through a process of refreshing them every year and, and he uses specific branches in specific areas because that's over his years of hunting that geographic area. He notices that that's what the deer use. So trying to 
make these deer as comfortable as possible hitting these scrapes where they don't fear anything or think anything's, you know, aloof here is always, I think, beneficial for the hunters to really pay attention and observe. Nice. I, I want to ask you when you, cause you were talking about the safety zones and how you kind of, you know, make these scrapes for inventory and uh, all that type of stuff. How are you making, or what's your strategy when you are making uh, a scrape for a kill opportunity? Are you making it where you could shoot for, that deer from like up in the tree from that at the scrape or a transition area, like working away or to the scrape. What is your kind of philosophy with that? Or is it just like, depending on the situation? Oh man, that's a great question. And it's, it's been years of habitat work. Um, I spend a tremendous amount of time at at my home farm, you know, where my wife and kids primarily hunt And, and you know, my close friends laugh and they say, Hey, you haven't killed a deer in like five years at home. And I'm like, no, I haven't. But my wife has killed some tremendous New York bucks, you know, and people look and go, are you serious? And it's like, you know, she's a a smaller lady and she doesn't pull a lot of weight. She's got a small kill zone. Um, and it's one of those things that, you know, she, you know, I put so much effort in for her and my kids, but it's that habitat work, which I love. Cause that's like, we talked about earlier, the food plot side of it. I, I love the habitat and manipulating the habitat. So when I'm killing a kill zone area in a tree stand or a blind setup, and I become a big fan of blinds because you can put blinds on either sleds or ground sleds or stands, and you can get them places where bucks want to frequent, but there's no tree to hang a tree stand. And you can really use your thermals and your prevailing winds with those blinds, you know, to get in there in the right date, the right time with the right wind and make sure, you know, you're going to kill it. And my wife, you know, two years ago killed a beautiful 10 point and literally, you know, I told her, Hey, the thermals are right. Like the the wind's right. Like the scrape is right there at the pear tree. He's going to be 20 yards, you know, like get in there because it's, it's just that time. And she questioned it, this and that. And she went, she wasn't even in the blind. She didn't even have her bow set up. And you know, she, she got guns of antlers coming in across and there he was. And it was, you know, she was just caught off guard, but fortunately, you know, he, she gave him like an 18 yard shot after he had hit the buck fever scrape and was walking away in the, 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 the thermal wind direction, the way the blind was set up, we made it so that that deer going out into the food plot had the, you know, wanted to come from this direction. We knew he'd hit that scrape with the camera and work his way out. And we put her in the position to, to make the shot. And fortunately for her, she did. Um, and, you know, I do the same thing with my kids, you know, in the different blind setups of harvesting. I mean, my youngest son and I, you know, we shoot does in the early season and, and we know we have them coming to a scrape based off of a food plot and a blind with the right, right wind direction. And I try to get him within 10 yards for my son. Cause you know, it's, he's very limited in what he can shoot with his, so you know your setups are key and important to everything and it's you know the history of obviously repeatedly hunting an area monitoring watching what the deer do and then setting the scrapes up a lot of people think they got to kill the deer at the scrape and, and that that's not so you know you can kill him on the way in or you can kill him on the way out depending on which way with the weather and the wind he's going to show up that day 
Um, and I think, you know, taking that into importance on the days, you know, and some guys, let's face it, um, cause guys tell me, Oh, well, yeah, but you have the benefit. You can hunt every day. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I really don't, I can't, you know, cause running this company, some of the busiest time of my year is in the fall. I don't have the luxury of being able to hunt every day. Like I thought I would when I transitioned into the industry. Um, and a lot of the guys that work in the factories and, 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 you know, work the, the jobs, they don't have the time to say, Hey, it's gotta be an ideal situation. So that's where the sense kick it up a notch to say, Hey, it may not be ideal and the wind may be shifting, but today's your day to go hunt and, and you got to go do it or otherwise you can't do it for another week. And so, you know, taking the advantage and applying the scent and putting the fresh smell in the woods that will get the deer off his feet and his bed if he gets wind of it, because he knows the scent, he's patterned to it, but all of a sudden it's stronger and it's fresher. And he thinks, uh Oh, that buck I've been looking for, I've never laid eyes on him. And he clearly is in the area cause I'm smelling that fresh scent. I'm going to get on my feet and go look. Um, they're inquisitive. You know, they, they, they want to get up and go look. Now, is there any situations, whether it's maybe the pre-rut or the rut where maybe you're going into either a new area or, you know, you're kind of moving around your, your primary area a little bit differently than you typically hunt. So maybe you're not around where these mock scrapes that you've made and got some inventory. Uh, is there any way that you would kind of use that kind of right before a hunt, whether it's in the morning or right before an evening sit of just maybe spraying uh, the branches just to get some scent in that area. If there's a cruising buck coming by to kind of be curious to draw them in towards your tree. Is there any way you, you would kind of work that obviously you're not going to have the time or you're not going to want to make the noise and, and leave the scent of, uh, of making a mock scrape right before you set up in your tree. Is there any way you would use the sense in that scenario? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I got a good friend that hunts in Iowa and he called me last year and, and he had a gigantic deer and he's like, Hey, how, how do I make this happen? That I don't want to get into that core area and I don't want to spook them. So how do I make this work for me? Um, and I think that, you know, when you get questions like that, of can I spray this scent otherwise out and around, you know, yes, you, you absolutely can. You can put much, you know, a significant amount of um, set in an area that will inquisitively get deer on their feet and make them want to, you know, come search it out, especially if it's just that real quick situation. All right, Troy, I want to ask you this one. How do you go about helping individuals like kind of like how Dimitri was saying, you know, this, the areas that he hasn't had a lot of action on, like, let's just say, he he puts out some of the the product he get he starts getting some sign but the signs really only at night like let's fast forward that this is now hunting season or we're right around the corner how do we go about kind of making that a spot where we want deer to travel during the day or you know are we moving it are we going to go hey we got to find more uh, thicker cover a more transition area what is your kind of experience doing or kind of where would you point someone in that direction to to improve that um, you know, obviously a core area where deer are nocturnal and they want to be nocturnal because they don't feel safe during daylight is always, you know, sort of a question of where do I put the scent or where do I put the scrape that, that makes the deer feel comfortable during daylight hours. Um, and that's, you know, habitat manipulation and, and creating it and making a thicker area. I mean, obviously some of these bigger bucks like that dense, thick, heavy cover. They don't like to appear in the wide open, you know, the wide open to them, they know means danger. Um, so formulating and then picking a spot where, you know, 
that there's thick, heavy cover and you know, you can draw them out. And that's, you know, for a lot of guys, that's tough because they're like, Oh, he popped out, but he was only out for 10 seconds and he just didn't turn. And I, I didn't make the shot. Yeah. But you won the battle there because you got him to pop out. You got him to show up and, and it, it stinks cause you didn't maybe get a shot at him, but you're, you're going to get him. He eventually is going to come back because the patterning of using the sense, you know, they, they have to come back to the scent. I mean, that's one thing about being a synthetic. It's, it's not like, oh, it's just an inquisitive one-time use. They're repeat offenders. I mean, my, my home areas, I, I get my same repeat bucks. I mean, we identify them, we name them, we create a hit list. You know, my wife and the kids go after them. Um, but, you know, going into like a, a, a outfitter hunt that I still do, I mean, I hunt with a bunch of outfitters in the Midwest. I, I've had the pleasure and luxury of hunting in Indiana and Iowa and Illinois the last few years and Missouri has been a big one. And, and, you know, we pop up on Missouri and, and I'll take all the, you know, sort of area that an outfitter says, Hey, we're going to put you in here with the wind direction tonight. And I'm like, all right, well, I need to be able to stay in here for a couple of days because I need these sense to work. And so I get in there and I, you know, I pick the best spot. I, you know, make a scrape and I will stick there for two or three days of the hunt, trying to really make sure that I have an opportunity to see what's going to come through and check out the scrape. Cause eventually they're gonna, they're naturally attracted to it. You talk about how using scrapes, I mean, obviously you get deer hitting them right now in June and in February, when you're talking to other people, it's all year. It's just a matter of like when certain bucks, you know, will actually maybe urinate in them and i've heard like when it's time to get a little bit more aggressive you hear it during october scrape week all that type of stuff um when are you kind of honing in on that opportunity to like now like when you know either the camera's hot have you said hey it's either a cold front in middle of october that first one or or is it like that october uh, Halloween weekend into November. When do you find it to be the best opportunity to go in there on, on a scrape? It's, you know, cameras have certainly made our lives, I believe a little bit easier um, because, you know, certain geographic areas, they, they kick in sooner, you know, um, and, you know, being able, depending on where you hunt, I mean, and, and, you know, everybody, there's different applications for it because if I was just hunting at home, I would say, yeah, you know, knowing the camera and, and predominantly, you know, where we are here, um, the activity really starts to ramp up depending on weather around Halloween, you know, that, that first two weeks of November, you know, is just the best time of year. If you can be, you know, I wish I could take two, two weeks a year off and be in the woods for the entire two weeks, you know? Um, and if I'm seeing, you know, the cameras light up and seeing the bucks of the caliber that I want to harvest on their feet, then that's where we'll go in and we'll reapply sense. And that's really, you know, people always ask me, when, when do I use your red moon estrus? You know? And it's like, I usually tell people October 25th, start applying it in your scrapes and watch your cameras and see what happens. By November 6th, you know, I'm spraying red moon estrus and forehead gland all over the place, you know, because the, the deer, all the does that are on their feet are moving and all the deer, you know, the bucks are chasing the does, you know, it's just a matter of one of those things that, you know, it is if you catch them at the right time, they're circling through and they're there. I mean, 
we're kind of fortunate where we hunt here where we have residential deer. So we, we know the deer that are here. Um, we know for the most part, our target list bucks, we know for the most part, their pattern based on the food sources, um, and, and nailing them down into a 20 or 25, 30 yard bow range though, is, is always a challenge. And there's many nights where, you know, we've observed them, we've watched them, we've watched them hit the scrape. We just haven't been able to pull the trigger on the bow, you know, to release the arrow because it, they just, it just didn't work out. But, you know, for us on the business side of it, of selling sense, we're like, Oh, wait a minute the sense put that deer there, you know, the sense brought that deer. They might've, you know, the wind might've swirled and, you know, a couple of times they've caught in, you know, a scent that they didn't like mixed in with the scent they did like. And you kind of think, oh, I spooked him. I spooked him out of here. He won't be back. And, you know, unfortunately it's that time of year. And it's like, Hey, I only got tonight, tomorrow night, and the next night to hunt. So I, I, I don't want to overhunt it, but I'm gonna, because I know he's there. And, you know, we just got to see if he'll come back out and we go back in before we get in the stand, we reapply the sense. And the next thing we know, he's coming back out. And we're getting a chance at it. Um, you know, so I think for those guys that, you know, only have a certain amount of days to do stuff, I think it's, you know, you apply the sense, you, you put it out and know that if the deer are getting wind of it, they're going to show up and, and hopefully give you a chance at the shot you want to take. Well, and I even think, you know, talking about gaining inventory and, and, and with the, especially now with people trying to run cell cameras, which is gaining a lot of popularity in the area. And, you know, but it, even if you think about it on a mock scrapes, you're going to get not as many pictures as say, if you run in a, like a mineral site, right. You know, especially on the early season, if it's legal in your, your area, you know, but you think about it with the cell cameras, you know, you're paying for that, that's, that's uh, cellular program uh, plan, which could be, you know, most people are probably going to pick the $5, hundred pictures a month. Right. You know, cause we'd love to run a hundred cell cameras, but you know, with budget and, you know, we know the economy's not great right now. So, you know, we're not going to have the money to, to run all these cameras on that $5 plan, but with a mock scrape, you're, you're going to, attract those deer they're going to hit the scrape you're going to get a good picture get a little inventory but you know for the most part you're probably not going to go over that you know maybe the the hundred pictures but you're probably going to be towards the end of your plan anyway so just as a budget friendly i think the mock scrapes make sense in trying to gain that inventory with not overloading your cameras yeah and, yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, I do I do think for people that, you know, on this budget, like we're all on this budget, this economy is, is you know, this fall, I mean, people got to harvest animals and obviously fill the freezers. And I think, you know, the, the struggle here is, you know, if you're looking at in areas where you can legally bait, which we cannot in New York, so using the sense, you know, puts the deer there, you know, but it's a lot cheaper than buying corn at corn prices, you know, for guys that are in states there, it's legal to be able to bait. I mean, pound for pound and, and ounce for ounce, um, our products are a great option for the money spent on a budget. Yeah, I like it. Well, Troy, I don't want to, I want to be conscious of your time, uh, you know, real quick, kind of like a little two thing, two couple of question, rapid fire, man, H- have a preference on scrapes uh, near doe bedding or buck bedding. Uh, you know, I, I like to try to get in as close as possible where I know those bucks are bedding, um, without disturbing them. So I've, we've had good success, probably closer on buck bedding. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, if they're there, you're going to draw them out. Um, so we've had a lot of success with, you know, hunting big bucks near the bedding areas because that's their safety security zone. And if you put a scrape right outside, they pop in and pop out. 
you know, they, they're going to check it because they feel safe. They've checked it all year long with never anything going wrong. So that time of year where they're more in tune to the smell, they're going to jump up on their feet and get out there and check it, you know, and hopefully that just happens to be the afternoon or evening you're sitting there or morning, you know? Yep. Awesome. Uh, you have everything lined up for you. You got your, your scrapes all, uh, loaded up. You have some deer moving on camera. What is the perfect day for you to be in the woods where you want to make it happen? Uh, I'm a big fan of bad weather. You know, I think, you know, a lot of people will take those days and, and sit it out because it's too nasty to sit in a stand and, and, you know, all the deer aren't moving. Um, I've had some of the best hunts of my life and some of the worst weather, you know, it, it's, you get, you know, I mean, everybody, there's different beliefs on, you know, the, the, the red moon and low pressure, high pressure, hunt high, hunt low, you know, and, and again, I think it comes down to where you geographically spend your time in a stand or in a blind. Um, I, as I said earlier in the podcast, I love hunting from the blinds because on the worst days you can be in there, you can be comfortable, you know, and you can make the shot when it counts. Um, and you know, the deer aren't going to bust you with the, the windy day, um, because your scent's going to be contained. So, you know, I, I think for me, I love those cold, crisp, late October, early November mornings, you know, when it's just brutally cold and you can get up and get out there and, and, you know, first light hits and the deer on the feet, they're moving, they're checking things out. Um, you know, I think those mornings are, are the best mornings spent in the tree stand. Heck yeah, man. Well, Troy, I want to just say thank you so much. And I, I have an idea and I would love for you to, to hopefully maybe come back and, and rejoin us at maybe at the end of September, beginning of October to kind of revisit a little bit and talk a little bit more about uh, how, one, how the season's uh, hopefully going to go and maybe help some people out during that time frame. If uh, you'd be honored to, to do, come on again, man, that'd be awesome to, to have you on again for sure about during that time frame. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for having me. I mean, I think, you know, there's so many parts of, of you know, scents and, and scrapes and rubs that people just don't think about and new hunters have never tried. And, you know, getting any little advantage to harvest that whitetail that, you know, you're getting in all those videos and photos all year long. I mean, it's just such a great reward. And what better time spent with, with our kids and our children, you know, in the great outdoors that's been provided for us. So um, I appreciate you guys taking the time to have me on. I'd love to come back. And, um, you know, if you guys have questions throughout, you know, now and then, you know, feel free to reach out to me because, you know, listeners, if they call in with questions or, or you know, make a list of questions that we can have them, we can answer those to the best of my ability. Um, you know, I mean, that's some of the most fun I have is helping, you know, educate, you know, being an educator at heart of, you know, really teaching people how to do this and how to do it better and maximize it has always been rewarding. Dude, that is exact, that's the core of our philosophy here, man, at, at Antler Up is, is that education and, and always learning and getting better, not only for, for our listeners, but for us as, as individuals, it's, it's a huge part of us. So we agree. So where could people find Buck Fever, out, Buck Fever products out at and you and all that type of stuff? Uh, buckfever.com is our website. We um, are sold through um, some large box stores. A lot of, you know, we're, we're big, into, you know, we obviously love our dealer base because those are our local dealer shops. So, um, and we, we ask for people's help too because people go into their local dealers and say, hey, do you guys carry Buck Fever Synthetics? And people go, nope. And they're like, well, you know, give them a call or give them a try, you know, because, 
it's, you know, for our dealer based program, it's like we, we try to, you know, our stuff comes in four ounce and eight ounce bottles and gallons. And basically, you know, what we're looking for a four ounce bottle is what a lot of the other companies charge for a one ounce bottle. So, you know, we believe in giving a good value to our consumers and a good value to our dealers because they got to stay in business and, and, you know, that's, that's their bread and butter. So we've worked it out where we try to make it very affordable for the consumer and, and for our dealers to have a strong dealer base and support us because the actual guy in the dealer that can give you the firsthand excited testimonial is the best thing that can happen to us. And obviously podcasts like this, where people listen to it and say the testimonial like, Hey, yeah, you've sprayed forehead gland and look at the, you know, the videos and the pictures you're getting and it, it legitimately works. So, um, you know, looking for us in your local dealers or requesting your local dealers to reach out to us at buckfever.com. Um, is always a great spot. And, you know, and if you can't find us anywhere else locally, obviously, you know, purchasing it right off of our website, you know, we can get it to you within a day or two typically. Heck yeah. Well, thank you so much. Definitely people give them a look. Uh, like I said, so far, um, it's been blowing my mind and it blows my dad's mind because he's like, I can't believe they hit this all year long. So I'm telling you guys, definitely check it out. Troy, thank you so much till next time, everybody antler up. That's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Again, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. Check out our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and our Go Wild pages. Thank you again, everybody, for all the continued support. See you next week. Antler Up.